I said, God is good. And all the time, amen, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord today, if you can. Genesis chapter 26. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 26. Say amen when you're there. If you have the Bible app, you can turn there as well today. Genesis chapter 26. We are in week two of our series, Once Upon a Time. Um, if you follow the TV show, they're in a new season right now on the TV show. My daughter's not in here. She's in, and they're serving in kids' church. She's an expert on this TV show and should come in here and tell us uh, all about it. Genesis chapter 26. We, this series, we're just a few, way, a few weeks away from Easter. Amen. How many are excited about that? I know I am. We're just a few weeks away from Easter, and uh, we will be celebrating the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and, um, and I'm excited about that moment to get to do that with you, your friends, your family, and all the people that come to church one Sunday, once time a year, and get to celebrate Easter with them. In all seriousness, we have been talking about the Old Testament scriptures about Jesus, about his prophecy, about the prophetic word, and while today is not going to necessarily very specifically say Emmanuel or God with us or the prophesied Messiah, as we're going to learn in next week or we, or we did in last week, we are talking about trusting in Jesus. Amen? Now, trust is a beautiful thing. Say amen. It's a powerful thing. It's a, it's a powerful thing. It's a beautiful thing to put your trust in someone else. The roll of the dice is... That when we put our trust in people on this planet, including our spouses if they're sitting next to us, is that people will sometimes break our heart. You don't have to say amen to that. You can act like no one has ever broken your trust before. But for all the people in here who's had their trust broken, can I get a big fat amen? We don't do skinny amens here. We do the big fat ones. The supersized ones. Everybody in here has had someone that you trusted in. Someone that was close to you. Someone, I would argue, in your inner circle. Someone that you loved. Someone that you trusted. Someone that you put your heart into. Someone that you gave your heart over to. And it's a terrible thing when that trust is jeopardized, isn't it? And then when it's jeopardized, it's a hard thing to, it's a hard thing, it's a difficult thing to win that trust back, isn't it? I see this in marriages as a pastor, not only in our church, but in other people that I help counsel, not just here in this church, but around this community, helping other people. And trust is a hard thing to gain back. I'm reminded of a, I'm reminded of a story. This this attorney was 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 uh, was on a tr- he was in a uh, trying a, he was a trial attorney was was in this case and he had brought a police officer up onto the stand to give an account to give a witness about this one specific thing on this trial so this attorney he's he's got this police officer um, on the stand and he begins to talk to the police officer he says he asks him he says uh, Mr. Police Officer as we're going to call him today Mr. Police Officer he said Mr. Police Officer he says, uh, do you trust your other officers that you served with? And he says, yes, Mr. Attorney, I do. I trust him. He says, all right. 
He says, now, I'm assuming at the police station, you, there is a locker room for all of the police officers. Is, is this correct? And he says, yes, sir, that is. The attorney asks the police officer, he says, do you have a locker there amongst the other officers that you serve with that you trust? And he says, yes, sir, I do. I've got a locker there. And he said, would it be safe to assume that in your locker you have some personal items that you put in that, that locker? And police officer's thinking, yes, of course, there, there are personal things that I put in my, my locker there. And then the attorney asks him, he says, now, if you trust these people, do you have a lock on your, your locker? And he says, yes, sir, I, I have a lock on my locker. And the attorney says, well, then I'm a little confused. If you, if you say that you trust these men, how is it that you trust these very men that you say you trust, but yet you put a lock on your locker where these men come in and out of? And the police officer, he looks at the attorney and says, well, you see, sir, our police station shares a building with attorneys. And often those attorneys walk through our locker room. So trust, trust. Now, now I can make that joke because I have friends who are trial lawyers and I have friends who are police officers. Uh, spent about eight hours with one yesterday who was a retired trial lawyer here in Belton. And uh, I, I told him he doesn't go to church here. He goes to another church. And I said, hey. I'm going to be sharing this joke. <laughs> You're an attorney. Let me see how this works on it, you know? And he laughed. So anyway, I got his approval. But trust is a, is a powerful thing, amen? Somebody say trust. Somebody say trust. So the question is, can you trust me? Or can I trust you? And before you answer, let me answer for the both of us. Yes and no. Because <laughs> here's what's going to happen. Mark it down. If you're taking notes, take these notes today. This is going to be on the podcast. I want it to be known that this preacher said this. I will break your heart. I will disappoint you. At some point, if you fellowship long enough here as your pastor, I will do something that doesn't sit right with you. On the other side of that coin is you're going to break my heart too. And this whole place will be like some country western song. Somebody done broke somebody's heart and lost a trailer and a dog in the process. So, (laughs) we, (laughs) but you know who we can trust? Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, you can trust Jesus. You can trust Jesus. You can trust Jesus. Look at your other neighbor and say, hey neighbor, you can trust Jesus. Now, if you got somebody not on the other side of you, because we got a lot of people out on spring break today, you just keep looking at that same neighbor. See, that's why you always bring two people with you to church here, because I do things in doubles, don't I? Always, twice. I always have you turn to your other neighbor. You can trust Jesus. We can trust him. Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 6. Then we're going to skip to verse 12 to verse 22. Now, as you're turning there, it's important to know, because we're going to hear about Abraham, Isaac, was Abraham's son. We're familiar with that story because can you imagine Isaac telling his sons one day, it's like, hey, you know, you know your grandpa Abraham, right? Do you know he tried to kill me one day? Did your grandpa ever tell you that story, by the way? No, dad, grandpa never told us. That. Oh, you need to corner him one day. Ask him about the time that he drug me up to a mountain, laid me down on this altar and held a knife above me. Grandpa did that? Yeah, your grandpa did that. That's pretty crazy. Now, I'm not saying, I don't know if that story went, if they tell those kind of stories, but that would be an interesting family story, wouldn't it? 
anyway, so my grandpa's here today. He never did that to us. So Genesis chapter 26, verse one. Can we read some scripture today? Is that okay? A severe famine now struck the land. A severe famine now struck the land. I would, I would argue with you today that America is in a spiritual famine. There, there, there's not a famine where we're, we're searching for food. Some of us are eating pretty well. Um, we're not in a famine where we're, we're looking for water. I think we all have plenty of water and Cokes and God loves Dr. Pepper. Amen. And <laughs> you're not a real Texan if you don't know what Dublin Dr. Pepper is. So um, in the name of the Lord, go out and buy Dublin Dr. Pepper after church. And so, but in all seriousness, we're, we're, not in a, we're not in this famine where we're out searching for food. America is blessed with prosperity. Even, even our poor support, if you will, it's an actual statistical fact. You can look it up on the Google machine later. But even our poorest and in our poverty in America are better than 76% of the earth's population. If you've never been on a missions trip to a third world country, you will know, if you have, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. But I would argue that America is in a spiritual famine. If you agree with your pastor today, say amen. It would appear to me that there are churches all across America who are preaching a gospel that is void of Jesus Christ. And we don't preach a feel-good message here. Jesus didn't die on a cross so I could be comfortable. The last time I checked, picking up my cross was heavy. It was a burden and it was hard. But Jesus said, when you do it, you can trust that I will give you grace to do the thing that I've called you to do. The gospel is not comfortable, Christian. He hasn't called us to be comfortable. If you are serving God because you want to live on easy street, you are not serving the same God that I am. The gospel is not a comfortable gospel, and yet there are churches across this country who are starving the people that sits in their seats. And as long as I occupy this pulpit, I'm going to feed you some stuff that your belly is full when you leave here. Amen. And if you are saying you are spiritually not fed in this church, that's a lie. You're not paying attention. Amen. I love you, but can I just say that? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, he's not mad. Now, if you've never been to a charismatic or Pentecostal church, you're like, why is he screaming? Who's he mad at? What's going on? I'm not mad. I ain't mad at you. A severe famine now struck the land and has happened before in his father's time. Listen, this is important. This wasn't the first time Isaac had seen a famine. When the famine came, he says, this looks awful familiar. My dad went through this famine. I went through this famine. And, and, and so in Abraham's time, and, and he saw this famine. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. Well, the Philistines, they were showing up in Genesis, weren't they? And the Lord appeared to Isaac and he said, this is important. The Lord appeared to Isaac and he says, do not go down to, what does it say? Egypt. Interesting. This is before we ever hear about Moses. And already, already the enemy is pushing God's people to Egypt. Now, Listen to me, church. This is a little deeper than we would normally go, so stay with me as we move into the deep end of the pool today, okay? We've got lifeguards. We'll throw you a rope if you're, if you're drowning. 
This is important, though, for your biblical knowledge, because what you need to understand is that when Moses led in the book of Exodus the children of Israel out of Egypt, when they got in the desert, the Bible says they started complaining and said, hey, Moses, at least in Egypt where we were slaves, we had food, we had shelter, we had wells with water. You've drug us out to this place where there is none of that. Egypt to the children of Israel was a place of wicked provision. It was provision. It was wicked. But they looked at Egypt as a place of provision. Listen to me, church. I say all of that to set you up to say this to you, that if we're not careful, the enemy will give us a false hope of what real provision is. And we will say, well, it is my hands that work at my job that get my paycheck. Therefore, I can provide for myself. And that's a lie from the enemy. God is our source of provision. It is him who gives us the wits, the ability to work. Are you with me today? Say amen. All right, so, so, so God says, do not go down to Egypt. How many know it's a good thing that if God tells you to do something, you should do it? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If God says to do something and you're not doing it, can I just tell you that you should start doing it? Don't do it right now. Don't stay right where you are. But when you leave here, you can go do it whatever he's telling you to do. Now, if you want to give online, you can do that on your phone, by the way. But, but in all seriousness, whatever God is telling you to do, how many believe it's a good thing? Can you say amen? If God tells us to do something, so, so God appeared to Isaac. And he says, don't go down to Egypt. But the next part, but do as I what? As I tell you. And verse 3 says, live here as a foreigner in this land. Live here as a foreigner in where? This land. Live here as a foreigner in this land. If we fast forward to Paul in the New Testament, Paul is writing to the early church and he tells them in words of comfort, You are but foreigners here in this land. Paul knew even in the early church, and I'm saying to you today, if you're a Christ follower, if you have prayed the prayer of repentance and you've asked Jesus Christ to be your personal savior, the Bible says that we are foreigners. We're like, in fact, one of the translations, it says we're like aliens here. So aliens do exist. We are them. And he says, we're like foreigners here. We're like aliens here in this land that our real home is in heaven. Now, listen to me, church. Think about this for a moment. Isaac is sees the famine happening. And like anyone else, it would be like this today. It would be like, there are no jobs here. We need to move where there are jobs. Now we're blessed in central Texas. We have survived. We, we just have survived. I have pastor friends who pastor in Michigan and in the Northeast and in the Northern parts of our uh, northeast parts of our of our country, and I can tell you, their churches and their people have been hit hard by the recession. And when they paint their picture of what they see, and I paint a picture of what I see in Central Texas, we are we are doing better than surviving. We are thriving here. God has been good to Belton in this area. He just has. And so, but think about this for a moment. It is it is common sense to say. If there is a famine here, I'm going to uproot my family and move to where there is not a famine. Duh. I think any of us would say that. I think that's common sense. But how many know that we don't serve a common God? God is not moving on common sense. 
He doesn't care about your common sense. Congratulations that you got common sense. Common sense is not a great thing to have because it's common. It's ordinary. But we say that when someone has common sense, like that's a, that's a brilliant thing to have. Boy, he should have some common sense. Boy, I wish they had some common sense. Common is not a great word that you want to associate really with yourself. It's, it's common, right? It's ordinary. It's just like everyone else. Common sense would say, Isaac, get your family, get out of here. Go to a place where the land is fruitful. God stopped him in his tracks. God appeared to him. He wasn't praying to God. He wasn't looking for God. God showed up at his doorstep and said, Isaac, stay here. Do it as a foreigner in this land. He tells Isaac to stay where the famine is. 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 To stay where it's where the drought is. To stay where it's hard. Listen to me, church. Why is this important? You know, when you got saved, whether you got saved at this church, at these altars, or at a kids' camp or a youth camp, or you got saved in your car, or you were in your shower one day and you prayed that prayer, wherever you were, when that moment happened, you weren't zapped to heaven. God left you here. God left you here. Isn't that a funny thing that when we're saved, God leaves us where the famine is. God leaves us where the drought sometimes is. What good is it if he uproots all of the people that know him? How will anyone else know who he is? He said to Isaac, I don't care what common sense says. I'm telling you, don't go to Egypt. Don't go where you think the real provision is, but stay where you are. And that is a word for somebody here today. You need just to stay planted where you are. And if you've been attending Crossroads and you've got one foot in and one foot out, can I tell you to stay planted where you are? My trees in my yard are going to be there when I get home. And if I leave tomorrow and go on vacation and I come back, my trees are still going to be there. They're going to grow where they're planted. There's something about a believer that sticks to where they are and says, God, I will stay where the famine is. So he tells Isaac, don't go to Egypt. Stay here in this land, but do it as a foreigner. Stay here. So, so Isaac does. He stays there in a, foreign, a foreigner in this land. And God says, I will be with you and I will bless you. Listen, he says, I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and to your descendants, just as I solemnly promised your dad. And I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky. I will give them all these lands. And, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And I will do this because your dad listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed there. Isaac stayed there. Verse 12. I love this. So when Isaac planted his crops, what year? That year. Stay in this land. And he did it that year. Isn't it like us sometimes? God says, I want you to stay here. Okay, God. Now I want you to do this. All right, I'll get around to it. I'll get to that someday. I'll, I'll, I'll start, God, I'll share the gospel with them when there's a better time. 
Oh, Holy Spirit, create a good time for me to share the gospel. When is that? When is your perfect time? What about now? Is, to, is today not the day of salvation? Are you with me today, church? So Isaac planted that year. Someone say that year. And he harvested, what does it say? Say it out loud. A hundred times more grain than he planted. Now that's a return on investment. A hundred times more than he planted. A hundred times more than he planted. A hundred times. Think about that number. Think about whatever you've sown into the kingdom. Think about how diligent, for those of you, you've been diligent, you've been faithful to do the thing that God has called you to be. Have you ever noticed we don't reward faithfulness in our culture? For the dad and the mom who have stayed married, who have stuck it out for 70 or 60 years, whatever it's been. There's, 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 faithfulness is not something that's really rewarded in our culture anymore. But it should be. And you've been faithful and you've stuck it out and you've stayed together and you've worked it out and, and you've, you've tithed and you've served God and you've showed up every Sunday and you've showed up to work and you've showed up to be a dad and you've showed up to be a mom and you're just doing it and you're not getting a pat on the back and no one's congratulating you. You're not doing it for that. You're doing it because you love the Lord and you're a child of God and it's what he's called you to do. Are you with me today? Reward, your reward a hundred times what you planted. Come on, somebody. You've been planning day after day and week after week and no one's congratulated but God says get ready a hundred times what you've planted a hundred times what he planted now 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 let's read on for the Lord bless him and he became a very rich man and his wealth continued to grow he acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle now this, this in those days was a sign of great wealth. And servants that the Philistines and herds of cattle and, and servants that the Philistines became jealous of him. Jealous of him. Jealous of him. Isn't that like the world to get jealous? That's like the world to get jealous. What about when Christian folk do it? What about when we pull up in the parking lot in our old hoopty duct tape together? Not even your wheels are matching. You get a trash bag on one side of the window. How many ever done that before? Your window got knocked out, you trash bagged it. <clears throat> Cardboard it, whatever. And someone pulls up beside you in this nice truck, 4x4, F250, F350, whatever it is, and they pull up in their nice car. You're like, oh, Lord, look how God has blessed them. Yay for God. And we say, God, I wish, oh, man, I just wish I could be blessed like that. I'm going to hope my key doesn't catch their car. No, no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We do have a sheriff now coming out on Sunday. So um, someone asked me before church, Pastor, is that because we don't tithe? I was like, no, no. But I'm going to use it for that. Anyway. (laughs) And so. It's one thing, listen to my heart, please hear my heart on this church. Because if we're not careful, this will catch us off guard. It's one thing for the world to hate us for the stuff that God gives us. But when you start hating another Christian brother or sister, and you're jealous for the stuff that God is doing to them, the enemy has set in your heart. He has taken root in your heart. Are you with me today, church? 
So don't hate. Don't be jealous. Be their biggest cheerleader. God bless you. Amen. Rub that on me. Rub some of that off on me. Be their biggest cheerleader. Be their biggest fan. When you see someone get blessed, you should stand up and be the first one to applaud God for what he's doing in his church today. Amen? And so don't be hating and don't be jealous. So before Taylor Swift even knew about haters and shaking things off, Isaac was doing it back then. And the Philistines got jealous. And if you read on, I've I've got to hurry up because of time, but if you read on, They became jealous of him. And his father, Abraham, a long time ago, had dug some wells for their tribes. He began to dig some wells for their tribes. And Isaac began to get water out of these tribes, excuse me, out of these wells. So the Philistines got jealous. In the Bible, if you read on, it says that they began to put dirt in his wells. Isn't that funny? The Bible just tells us that they were in a place where there is famine, but that this guy had some wells. This guy had a source that nobody else had. Can I tell you, church, you can trust in Jesus. And they started filling up his wells with dirt. What did Isaac do? He didn't pout. He didn't get all down and down about himself and pitying himself. Isaac said, you know what we're going to do? We'll just, dig our, we'll just dig that dirt right back out. And so they dug it out, and they filled up another well with dirt. And Isaac says, we're going to go dig that. We'll just dig that out as well. That's fine. We got another well that my father dug. So they went to that well, and over and over, they began to cast the dirt into these wells. The enemy, he's going to get jealous of you. He's already jealous of you because you're a king's kid. But can I tell you that you can trust in Jesus? You can trust in God. You can trust him that he's going to do the very thing that he said he would do in your life. If he said he would save you, then he's going to save you. Can I tell you there's something powerful and something amazing about praying and believing God for the impossible? My brother and I are here today because my mother and my father and my grandparents, the ones that are here and the ones that are in heaven, prayed for their kids and their grandkids. Grandma and grandpa, can I tell you to keep praying for your kids and your grandkids? You may not see it in your lifetime, but if God gave you a promise, you better hold on to it with both hands. Don't let any devil in hell rip that promise from you. Amen? I mean, dig your heels in the ground and say, God has promised me salvation to my home. God's promised that my marriage can be saved. So I don't care what it looks like, what it sounds like. If God says I'll have a marriage, then I'm going to have a happy home. Don't give up on your promise. Amen.